kick us off. Let's do it. It is 7.15 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm Alex Gradette. I'm Laura Hertzfeld. And you're listening to This Year's Rent. This Year's Rent! The podcast about rent. How you doing, Laura? I'm great. I feel like I've got my second shot. Nice. Rocking and rolling. Life is like, oh, maybe I could book a plane ticket. Maybe we could see another human that doesn't live in my house. That's what I'm really looking forward to. How are you? I, I'm also full vax. I got the the J and J one and done. Uh, I actually got it a couple of Mondays ago. And then literally the next day was when the news broke that they were temporarily pulling it off the market. And I, d- I had to laugh. I was minimally concerned about the blood clot thing just before I started reading about how many people it was impacting and uh, and on what criteria. And I talked to my wife about it, who is a very good voice of reason. And she's like, okay, listen, you, are, you do not fit the medical profile for any of the people who have experienced this. Uh, you're not even the same gender as any of them. And even if you were, what would you do about it? It's already, Too late it's already now. in your arms. With things that I'm scared of like that, I'm just sort of like, you're already on the roller coaster. Once you're on the roller coaster, it's not much you can do. And But I just, I had to laugh because after weeks of following like every Twitter bot and like in every group chat where people are like, hey, there's openings at this hospital. There's, you can, you if you're willing to drive up to Bakersfield, you can walk right in and blah, blah, blah. After weeks and weeks of that, I finally schedule an appointment. And then literally the next day they're like, hang on a minute. I, I also have to laugh about this because I feel like it's not, it's thematically relevant to what we're here to talk about anyway. I know this feels like a clunky segue, but like in our lifetimes, there will be a musical about the last year and a half. And oh, yeah. with a full on number, like a second act number dedicated to who got which vaccine and when and who got shot number one, who's gotten shot number two. Like I'm a Pfizer girl in a <laughs> Pfizer world. <laughs> but uh but yeah so um still at home but uh vaccinated but still at home which means the podcast continues we still podcast have continues and i feel like maybe by the end of this this you and i can be in the same room doing a podcast I, which would be yeah, awesome would be, would be delightful i think the the funny i i think the the potential exists also like with any podcast is suddenly we're actually like gonna be able to do stuff again and totally just like drop the thread like no. like yeah this was this fun thing but no never us never us other podcasts, not, us. not us come on not come us. on ye of little faith me of little faith so uh laura i don't want to alarm you uh, it appears we're not alone we are not alone we have a very special guest today throw down the key who we got all right we have a very old friend of mine dina friedler since her days as a rent head in the 90s dina has been working on broadway company managing general managing and producing dozens of broadway shows over the past 20 years she's learned that there's no substitution for hard work talent and above all the importance of keeping a secret so true after all she's responsible for contract negotiations of some of the biggest broadway stars today she balances the books while balancing a busy life, the busy life of a mom in New Jersey with two daughters, both of whom are being raised to love theater, of course, the performing arts, and rent. Welcome, Dina. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We are so happy to have you. Uh, Dina and I have not seen each other. Now we're seeing each other on Zoom. Like, we all see each other in 20 years. 
Uh, so it's really lovely to see your face and have you join us because immediately when Alex and I were putting together this podcast, I was like, who is the perfect person to have on this show? <laughs> Dina's got to come on. So you're here. Yay. I'm excited to be here. And also, congratulations. You are officially our first guest. Amazing. We've, we have not done this before. Hopefully, uh, we are going to be able to let you get a word in edgewise because we're not great at that with each other. So. I'm pretty good Excellent. at sneaking my voice in. Can't wait. That's true. So, Dina can hold her own. <laughs> so rather than make you two have to narrate the things you already know, like like the worst exposition, uh, I, as the outsider here, as the audience surrogate, I know you guys went to college together and that, that uh, intro kind of laid it out in a very bare bones kind of way. Flesh it out for me. How did you two line up? So back in the day, there were like, internet chat boards around rent and there were groups of people you know camping out for rent in different cities by this point it was not just new york i had seen it in dc and i was moving to new york because i was transferring um after my freshman year and i didn't really know anybody right it's like you're starting off i was going to be a sophomore everybody else had been together there for a whole year as freshmen and so i was like all right who who do I know in, in New York? And, um, you know, one of the groups of people that I was connected to were people who had done the line. And I had been in London that summer before, and I had done the line there with a lot of people who had come over from New York and were kind of like old school, old school line people. <laughs> and I think it was originally through that, that I was just starting to make connections with folks uh, in New York before I got there. And Dina was one of those people. And she was at the same school as me. We went to Barnard College in New York and I was super excited to meet her. So I think you were really like one of my first friends at Barnard, even before my roommates. I feel like we met, you know, I think it was even before classes started and you were like, let's hang out. And yeah, I, I remember the chat rooms and I remember that there was a, an email list yeah. of some sort. It was, it was a very old school version of like Google groups. Um, <laughs> and uh, probably some like GeoCities website, like web ring. <laughs> Yeah, a thousand emails a day, and they were ridiculous things, but very important to to pay attention and to know what was going on with with rent. Yeah, yeah, and I think we went to see the show like that first week too. I think we did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was not a line anymore. It was a lottery by yeah. then. No, yeah. it was a lottery, and I think we went down there like whatever time at like noon and you know did the whole thing Let's see what happens. you know if we get tickets great i got 10 bucks let's do it exactly. exactly you were mentioning the user groups which that kind of that rang a bell for me i didn't see rent for a couple of years after it had been around so i was one of the people who came who came to it via the cast album uh, and obsessed on that for for quite a while, so that by the time I did see it, it was sort of the end of the experience, not the beginning of it. But I remember periodically like checking out those the 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 user groups and the message boards, and just being like, "Oh, I am I am not on this level." I think you were smart, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Well, well, some of it has to do with like what I would see on there where I'm just like, "Wow, either these people are really gleaning things from the cast album that I'm just not, or there is obviously this whole other component of seeing it live, so that a lot of what I'm reading is just completely lost on me." And then, of course, because of the line, because of the lottery, because of everything that went on 
on 41st Street, you know, in real time and then finding its way onto the internet, there was a whole language. It was its own subculture, like not even a subculture. It was its own culture culture. It seemed to me as an outsider who was 200 miles away, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is like a club that I am just not in yet. And it felt like access to the club came with when you get yourself in a position to go see the show. I mean, I listened to the soundtrack first before I saw it. I was uh, living in the suburbs of Philadelphia and um, and immediately sort of went online and saw this stuff. And my reaction to it was like, well, I'm going to be in the middle of that. That's what I- <laughs> I don't know that stuff yet, but I'm going to. Uh, And then I went to college in the city and just right into it, right in the middle of it. (laughs) And and I think with those boards too, like there was this, there were even levels within the boards, right? Well, there was the line queens. There were the line queens, which I was not a line queen. Um, I did not get in there early enough for that. I was in high school in the suburbs. Um, <laughs> but the line queens made it very clear that the rest of us were were, were beneath them. Oh, and, yeah. and, you know, at a certain point in time, the rest of us just didn't care. Yeah. And it was even, even I mean, and it pervades, Dina, because when Alex first approached me about being doing this podcast together, I was like, I don't know if I know enough about Brent to do this podcast. And he's like, wait, wait, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And I'm like <laughs> pulling out the, the sort of like books and the pictures and the, all of the rent paraphernalia in my house and telling him about it and texting him these sort of like weird factoids of my life. And I was like, okay, maybe I do, but I don't know as much as Dina and I don't know as much as this person. And I don't know as much as like all these people who were so obsessed with it. Nobody's going to take me serious. I was like, all right, I know that like you can talk about having imposter syndrome at work and that this plagues women in various ways. This is a whole other level. (laughs) This is like imposter syndrome about a show that came out 25 years ago. That it's, you actually knew a hell of a lot about. <laughs> like, true. Maybe you should do this. So what I really loved, Dina, is like you took this like deep love, not just of rent, but theater generally and turned it into a career. So I yes. want to hear a little bit about how that happened and and what life's been like kind of working in the theater since then. Well, um, I was at Barnard. And so being in the city, I figured I knew I wanted to work in theater. I knew I didn't want to be an actor. I knew there had to be a career for someone with my skills and talents. And uh, I had a whole bunch of internships the whole time that I was in college. So I was never just a college student. I always had an internship at a theater company. So I worked for Disney. I worked for Richard Frankel Productions. I worked for a couple of movie uh, companies and uh, found this teeny tiny field of company management, uh, which was actually quite perfect for me. So um, my, I worked in company management on the producers when I was still in college, I was an intern there. And um, after that, I started working for my current boss, Charlotte Wilcox, and I have been working for her for 20 years. Wow. That's amazing. Pretty That's amazing. unbelievable. Yeah. I feel like you're the only person our age who has worked for the same company for that long. It's I true. It's true. But when I say company, like 
there's sometimes there's been three of us. Like this is a <laughs> very small business. It's a very small area of the business, and um, and and I love it. Um, so I. I've worked on a lot of shows. I've worked with actors who were in Rent. I've worked with actors who were in Rent who remembered me from the- <laughs> um, wait, 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 back up. I need to hear like one story. What? One, one story of those. So, who, who's, who's a good one? So the first, um, the first one that I remember was that I was the assistant company manager on The Full Monty. And Will Chase came into that show as uh, <laughs> as an assistant. Uh, uh, he replaced um, uh, Patrick Wilson, and um, I had been particularly uh, a fan of Will Chase when he was in Rent. Uh, I recall. Who uh, who who was he when he was in the show? Well, he was the squeegee man uh, ah. when I. Uh, knew him when I was a fan of his. Uh, eventually, he understudied Mark, he understudied Roger, and eventually, I think he took over as Roger towards the end, but I was, you know, long gone by then. But um, he, uh, so I, I was a huge fan of his. I would come see him backstage at Miss Saigon and say hello to him and buy gifts for his baby daughter and a uh, little, <laughs> little crazy. Um, <laughs> So um, uh, we were working on the full Monty and, you know, as a company manager, you're backstage, you're sort of the liaison between the producers and the people who are at the theater. You're the producer's representative at the theater. Mm. So I'm there and I'm kind of, you know, someone in charge in a way. And, um, and he recognized me immediately and was like, oh my God, it's Dina Steinberg. What are you doing here? I said, well, I'm the assistant company manager now. And he was like, oh, so now we're actually working together. And I said, <laughs> you know, he started telling my, my boss, the company manager, um, that I had been, you know, you know, Dina, how many times did you see Rent? And he was sort of, sort of shaming me a little bit for it. <laughs> and, I, and I was embarrassed about it at the time because I was trying to be serious and make a name for myself. And right. I want to be associated as a rent head and um and I said to him well do you want to talk about the things that you did when you were in college uh <laughs> and he laughed and said touche and he and mm -hmm. I became friends after that and uh we've been friends for a long time nice and I think there's also a big gulf of the former cast members and where they ended up and their reaction oh, sure. to rent heads now like I have had both amazing interactions with people mm -hmm. from the cast that I have met through work and other things and not so amazing ones when <laughs> I made, make the mistake of bringing up that I was a redhead. Um, you know, when I was 22 and I was trying to get a foot in the door, I was embarrassed by it. But, you know, 20 years later, um, you know, I own it. And, um, you know, this is part of who I am. It's led me to where I went. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's awesome. I, there's actually a number of people that I was friends with in my rent days who are in all different areas of what I do for a living. I've got a, a friend who was an agent and uh, I negotiate deals with her sometimes. <laughs> and 
friend who does casting. Uh, he's kind of a big shot in casting now. So every once in a while we get drunk and we talk about how like two rent heads are controlling some Broadway shows. But, um, <laughs> but, you but know. it makes total sense. Like, yeah. I think there's a, you know, a community there and a passion there. And I, and I always love it when I run into people who had that experience because I do think you need to own it. And Alex and I have talked a lot about this where I I'm with you, Dina, like I own it. I'm like, you know, it meant something to me then. It doesn't really matter what anybody else like thinks about it that are, or now, I mean, it matters, obviously right. we're having this conversation, but you know, I think it's, it's a relevant conversation, but I think as far as like personally, right. Like if it was meaningful to you, it's important to kind of like own the whole thing. And Alex is working on owning it. Yeah. I, I, for, <laughs> for me, Dina, it's that, um, I, like I said, I was, I was obsessed by the cast album when it was new and then really ran the course with it. And then by a couple of years later, when it was no longer fashionable and I'd listened to it so much that I just kind of stripped the varnish off of it. I, I want to jump back to something you were just saying, because as you were making inroads into working in theater as a business, wanting to hide or soft pedal that you were a rent head, it's really interesting because there's kind of some cognitive dissonance there, but that makes absolute sense to me because like on the one hand like from a common sense perspective like well wait a minute why of course you're going to work in the theater why would you not want to make it plain that you're passionate about the industry you're going to work in but rent heads were the were kind of the first of a kind for it to be codified the way it was for it to have this life uh in person online the whole thing like yeah i'm sure 1968 people were going to see hair as often as they could but they but it wasn't but fandom was not a thing so that then 10 years later someone who had been to see hair 17 times in a month would never have to hide that because everybody was going to see hair as often as they could and it was fine there was no stigma but redheads were the first of a kind there were people who who saw Les Mis a million times there were people who were really into Jekyll and Hyde people who were really into Titanic and they saw that a million times. Renheads was the beginning of something that I, that I can, I am certain I know for a fact has continued. Um, we sort of, we sort of started something with this, with, with this fandom, with this, you know, this love of something. And I think that there was an element of, you know, it's one thing to be a fan of a movie or uh, a movie star or a band and there's an inaccessibleness to it. And one, when you're in New York and you see the accessibility of the actors because they have to leave out the same door that you have to, um, mm -hmm. that there's, there's something that's really exciting about that. These people can get to know who I am. Um, I, I can sort of be famous too. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I do think that that's where it started. I have worked on shows. I worked on a show called Taboo uh, with Boy George and mm -hmm. we had fans who waited at the stage door and those fans knew me by name and they knew what I did for the show. They would be like, Dina, do you have a paycheck for me today? And I was like, mm -hmm. I think weird that you know who I am. Um, <laughs> And actually, that brings me to a question. I, I'm I'm so glad that you brought up that Rent started this trend. And now, obviously, well, not right now, obviously, and that's the problem in it. But um, yep. but the idea of seeing a show beginning that afternoon 
on the street or or early that morning when you're when you're camping out and something that that you know that Hamilton to take the fact that there was this captive audience right there on 46th Street and put on a show for them which was at once incredibly gracious but also a really solid headline grab like like just like total Instagram fodder so cuz I have no idea about the inner workings of Broadway but like do shows let that happen organically do you try and plan for it how does that usually go so at this point most people put like their front row seats or they they designate certain seats to be rush tickets and right. sometimes those are rush tickets just for students and sometimes they're for anyone who gets there um some sometimes they're a lottery and sometimes they're first come first serve this in this day and age they're mostly a lottery um especially because like when I worked on Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, we had to hire somebody to run the lottery. Um, now it's all on the internet. You just put your name mm -hmm. down. Um, and I actually feel like that takes something away from it because part of the, you're earning that $20 ticket by showing up. Um, right. That kind of, that kind of bothers me. Um, but um, it, you certainly hope that a lot of people are going to show up for that and that you're going to have people, you know, filling 46th street. Mm -hmm. um, but just like everything else on Broadway, more often than not, you don't have that. I guess I'm, I'm curious from a like current person, like what, what are the conversations happening now about the return to Broadway and, you know, is there that excitement? Do you, are you thinking people are going to, come back, you know, and I think there's a lot of interest in it. I think like, obviously the one thing that I want to do is go to the theater, but you know, how do we get to that point where everybody feels comfortable? I mean, I think that this is the first time. So now they're saying that Broadway is going to come back in the late fall. And this is the first time that they've said that, that I've actually thought it, it might. Um, mm. You know, you two were talking earlier about having gotten your vaccines and now you're kind of ready to go. Um, for people that don't have young children who haven't been vaccinated, there is a lot of going back to regular life starting to happen already. And I do think that people will be willing to go to the theater, but I think there's still a lot of questions um, that I haven't heard the answers to. Um, so. Yeah, I think the one thing that I always keep coming back to is like the tickets to Broadway shows have gotten so out of reach for most people and those rush tickets, student tickets, that's really like the one way that people can afford to see theater really and um, especially young people and mm. that's really what Rent did was make it accessible to a much younger audience and I'm really nervous that post-COVID, you know, they have to sell out these theaters, I think, you know, it, and going at half capacity, it's just going to be double the expense to go if that's even something I mean, they're talking necessarily. about. I think a lot of it depends on the, you know, part of the stimulus package was to save our stages grant. And yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, I haven't been working on those, so I'm not entirely clear about what they're covering, but m my understanding is that in some way, those are going to offset the cost. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't think that we can expect anybody to spend $400 plus on a ticket to see a show um, con consistently. I think there's going right, to have to be right. some kind of, um, you know, 
go be patriotic, go see a Broadway show kind of thing like we had after mm. 9-11. Yeah. Um, patriotic's probably the wrong word, but you know, some some something to get New Yorkers and the people in the New York area to want to come out. Um, but that said, I I I don't know how you have a comedy with half of an audience because you know, laughter is contagious and you wanna mm. you wanna have a packed audience for something like that. And, yeah, and all of the emotions are really contagious it's about you know it's it's about back to your question of was rent more special if you saw it in person I would argue vehemently yes it was because there was something that was so emotional about having this empathetic experience with all of these people in this space together um you know some you know and something special about that that made you want to you know do it again one thing I wanted to say you know you were talking about rent being over, you know, after, after a few years in the nineties. And, you know, I, now that I've got kids, we spend a lot of time, my, my parents have a house at the Jersey shore and we drive down there a lot. Every long car ride, we listen to Broadway shows and it's different shows. And my kids are obsessed with lots of random Broadway shows. You'd be shocked. Um, but my older daughter is in love with rent. And so um, there was a touring production in Morristown, New Jersey, and I took her to see it for her birthday. And as I sat there, I realized that everyone in that cast was not born when Rent came out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And, um, And it looked, the set looked exactly the same and the choreography was exactly the same. And and the cast members were wearing the same clothes and they looked the same. And to me, I was, I was like squinting. I was like, that looks like Anthony if I squint really hard. Um, but She'd my, be flattered. He'd be like, oh, I haven't aged at all. I mean, he hasn't. <laughs> I, um, I know, he really hasn't. He hasn't. But um, yeah, she was, she loves it. And she had a million questions um about um not only I mean a million questions about what AIDS was and what Mm -hmm. you know and and as the pandemic happened she was comparing um COVID-19 to AIDS and you know asking a million questions about that and and it's really a period piece friend you know it's not a period piece from the 20s or the 30s it's a period piece from the 90s and Mm -hmm. I think that if you look at it like that then some of the things that I think bother us as, you know, woke people from 2021 don't bother me as much, Um, you know, that they go back and forth between calling Angel he and she was Angel Angel transgender. In the recent movie uh, on TV, they made her transgender. I was like, I don't really think she was transgender. it, that, that's never like I mean obviously I analyzed the show at least but I um I I feel that a lot of the things that bother us about it now are things that were so cutting edge about it then I feel like it's unfair to expect yeah. to expect Jonathan Larson to understand transgender or to understand gay marriage in a way that we understand it now to have understood it that way then. 
Yeah. That's, and, that's actually, that's a really excellent framing and one I don't think I'd thought of that much, but that it's, there is something kind of, it's not to say it's not a polished show, but there is something kind of rough hewn about it. And some of that, maybe we talked about this last time about how it basically never went through the revision process that a show in previews would go through, but there's something, there's something very unselfconscious about the show uh, that I think contributes that time capsuleness. Like there have mm -hmm. been other shows that have followed in its footsteps and we've talked about some of those and we will continue to talk about some of those. Some that are very clearly like would not exist, but for Rent. And I don't even mean things like where there's a creative through line because Rent expanded someone's thinking. I'm talking about like something like Avenue Q that is basically just like a clap back at Rent but is but is but is self-aware and so it gets to be kind of that one except for like george bush references which i'm sure they update in productions now that one gets to be kind of timeless because it was always with a wink rent mm -hmm. by virtue of its sincerity is stapled to the time it came out Yes. Right. Well, and it's interesting, right? Because I think because it's so recent in our history, we lived through the time that it references that we don't feel like it, you know, um, is a period piece all the time. It's hard for us to think of it as something like that because it's not that long in our past. But I think it's really helpful to look at it through that. It's, it's important for us to be like, that was 25 years ago. That was a piece of history. Maybe it needs to be what it is and just accept it at that face value. My 10 year old will say, oh, back in the olden days in the nineties. So it doesn't feel that way to us. I feel like I was just her age, but clearly I was right. Not. <laughs> but, but it's yeah. interesting too, because I think the distinction to make there also is that while it is a time capsule, it's not a time capsule of life. It's not a snapshot. It's obviously it's not a documentary. And I don't just mean that everyone sings for three hours there. Is, I mean, I remember at the time finding it sort of the, walking this weird line between, you know, like, like miserable and aspirational at, at the time for me, it almost verged on like science fiction, the way it kind of just, it distilled this, it heightened that when, when my son's old enough to listen to it, I'm not going to be like, this is what life was like, but it's like, this is what one man's interpretation of the anxieties cool. of life at that time was like, and it resonated with millions on millions of people. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Like I just rewatched Train Spotting the other night, which mm -hmm. really holds up, by the way. But I would say mm -hmm. Train Spotting and Rent both had this like really visceral effect on me. I probably saw Train Spotting fifteen times when I was, you know, in high school, college. I loved that movie and. I think there was this fascination with this sort of like dark side of life for these young people that were the same age as me, but it was a totally different experience than, you know, what I had. And I think there is obviously, I was not in Scotland doing heroin, but fortunately. Thank you for clarifying. Um, yeah, in case anybody was curious. But, no, no, that's cool. um, but, but it but was. I, but just but, thinking about that heightened, like I think your point about it being a lot of things just sort of like coming at you, especially at, at an impressionable age. Okay, I think for some of us, I think, you know, 
sleeping on 41st street, you could sort of feel like you were living that life in kind of a very <laughs> ideological sort of way. I, that's the wrong word. Um, but it's, 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 it does become- Well, you were getting like, this little taste. You were sort yes, of like, this you, is a little I, taste of what that is like. Yeah, well, and, and I it's... think that it was very, it was very idealized in the show. Mm. So you weren't supposed to want to have a big house in the suburbs and you weren't supposed to have money. You weren't supposed to want to be successful. You know, when these people were coolest to us is when they were staying true to their, to their core artistic values. And that's what we were supposed to want to do too, which, yeah. you know. Was there was nice. one other there was one other thing I wanted to talk about, you know, with the fandom thing, because I'm curious of you looking back on this now, especially as a mom and somebody who has daughters who maybe will want to go do crazy things like we did. Um, you know, I think about how old we were and our relationship to some of these cast members who were significantly older than us and other people kind of revolving around the the show and you know some situations that we put ourselves in that probably could have turned out not so good um and I'm just curious looking back on this for you because I, I think we think about it very nostalgically we think about how cool an experience it was which it, it was I wouldn't change like it for the world but I do think today a lot of things that went down would be like what what was that <laughs> You know? and, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine sending my 16 year old on a New Jersey transit train into the city by herself to see a Broadway show and to have, you know, lunch with a cast member afterwards mm -hmm. who was 26. Um, right. You know, that having been said, my kids are getting uh, such a different upbringing than I did because mm -hmm. they've been, they go see a show and they say, are we going backstage? And mm -hmm. if I say no, they're like, well, why not? Um, and you know, we've got, we've got friends who are in Broadway shows and there's people who come to my house to teach them singing lessons who are teaching singing on Broadway. So, um, mm -hmm. they're living a very different life <laughs> than I did at their age. Um, I, I'm not quite there yet, Lara. That's the thing, you know, they're 10 and they're seven and, um, you know, oddly enough, I, I did choose a sort of a, a very suburban, you know, mom lifestyle. <laughs> I had him at one point. I got rid of it. It was not me. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, it's, I don't know how I would feel about it. I think I would encourage anything that my kids find value in and find something that makes them feel included and makes them feel special and makes them feel like their feelings have worth and merit the way that I think that rent made me feel. Um, and I'd like to think that I would be open-minded about um, helping them pursue whatever that might be. Um, yeah. But I think I would have more. <laughs> I mean, granted, granted, we were in college, so I think there. We were in college. Little, there were little you can do. At, at that point. I mean, there but were yeah. 
Yeah, there were 14 year olds and 15 year olds oh, yeah. that I met. And I, I thought that this is insane. Um, <laughs> you know, um, my mother yeah. would never have let me do that. So, um, yeah, well, and I think about, you know, everyone was always very nice to us. I never, you know, but I think there is something very strange. And you're saying, like, you know, kids who recognize you at the theater, you know, I thought that was really interesting because I know that, like, we knew that too. We knew the guys who worked the door. We knew who was coming out and what order they were coming out in. And I think that is like such a fine line that these folks who work at theaters like have to walk, especially now. I went to see a show, a performance of Godspell in a basement of something that Justin, the line guy, was performing in. <laughs> wait, 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 when, when was well, this? Oh, I mean, no, when I was like, when I was involved in Ren, when I was a Ren head, uh -huh. the, you know, we knew the line guy so well, the guy who was like in charge yeah. of the line, that he was like an actor and he was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be in this show. And my friends and I were like, yeah. oh, well, we should go see that. There was a guy who was a swing in London who then ended up at Columbia School of General Studies, easily a decade older than me. And I would see him on campus and I had like met him you know, from doing the line in London when I was 18 the summer before. And I thought I was truly the coolest human on the planet mm -hmm. if he ever gave me the time of day. I mean, yeah. But there really was this, you know, this community of people. And I think it's, you know, there are people that I kind of think about every once in a while. I don't know their real names. Like, I know, me too. I'll occasionally <laughs> Google somebody and try and find them. And, mm -hmm. you know, I... I don't have any way of finding them. Yeah, it's weird, right? And especially, I always just think about like where the internet, because I I had no intention of like working in the digital space. And yet that's my first experience with the internet. And then going through mm -hmm. life of like working at Yahoo in the early days and other places where it's just like how far it's come and, you know, seeing other communities form and, and make relationships online. Like I'm always brought back to that original, mm -hmm. um, original group of folks. And I think to me, and this has been like something, a theme in my work, but then I always bring it back to rent, which is like, I think what made it successful was that merging of online and offline. And it's something that very few, I don't know, I think groups have like figured out how to do that well. I think Comic-Con is one, like there mm -hmm. is, you know, things like that where you see these fandoms like come together. Um, but it's something where people live exclusively online. They have these other lives, like all that stuff. But with Ren, it there was an online community, but it was the offline community that made it real. Yeah, always. Yeah. It was always both working together to sort of create that community that 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 Jonathan Larson talked about in the in the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I I always think that Jonathan had this very like utopian view of technology and like what its possibilities could be and it always whatever the internet it always it has only served to disappoint me in that regard over the last few years I mean not only I think there's huge possibility I still believe in in it but I think there's a lot that we didn't threat model for shall we say um <laughs> No question. You know, the um, the funniest thing I want to say about, about Sloan seeing uh, Rent was that when Mark took out his camera, 
She said, what's that? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I said, well, that's, 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 a, that's a film camera. He would shoot film and then he would make it into a movie. And she said, why didn't he just use his iPhone? Oh, my God. Oh, boy. What's the, like, what's, what's the first show that you want to see when things come back? Uh, well, I was really, I was supposed to see Jagged Little Pill the night that everything shut down. Uh, really like to see that. I was very excited about company. Yeah. Very excited about company. And, you know, six. That was that was one of the things I was supposed to see last spring. I was supposed to see it in London and didn't get to, but yeah. Feel very deeply. Uh, well, Dina, yeah. thank you, thank you so much for coming on to chat with us. Thank uh, you for this has been this has been really fantastic, and I hope a not unpleasant uh, stroll down memory slash cringe lane because that's what we do here at this year's rent. Really wonderful having you on and getting to reunite the two of you. I hope that the reunion lasts and I hope that uh, you guys are able to reunite in person before too long. That would be so I wonderful. hope so too. This was so fun, Dina. Thank it was so, so fun. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Absolutely. So Laura, one thing we keep forgetting to do episode after episode, where can people find you if they wanna, if they wanna hear from you, get to know you in that sense? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Laura Hertzfeld. Awesome. I can be found on Twitter at at Menace2Snacks. And you can find Laura and I arguing with each other about Rent and other musicals too. So thanks again for joining in for an episode of this year's Rent. And uh, Dina, will you join us in our in our sign off? Oh, absolutely. Laura, walk all right, her in. I'm an, all right. This year's Rent, a podcast about rent, is hosted and produced by Laura Hertzfeld and Alex Gurdett and is a Happyard Company production. Executive producers Joe Tower and Brian Weiss. This year's Rent is proud to benefit Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider a donation at donate.broadwaycares.org.